This season of What's Your Story is brought to you by Paystack. If you run a business or you're thinking of launching one, Paystack helps you to accept payments online from anyone, anywhere in the world. Don't have a website? Doesn't matter. With Paystack, you can create a simple and attractive online store for free and all by yourself. You can also create simple payment links and invoices and send them to your customers wherever you chat with them. And they can pay you via card, mobile money, Apple Pay, and more. Paystack also integrates seamlessly with popular e-commerce platforms like Shopify, WordPress, and WooCommerce. And if you're a tech-savvy business owner, you can rely on the Paystack API to create custom and delightful payment experiences for your customers. Create your free Paystack account and join over 200,000 businesses across Africa that rely on Paystack to get paid and grow their businesses. Visit paystack.com technova to create your free Paystack account and start accepting payments online. That's paystack.com slash technova. So I wouldn't do anything differently. Same choices, I, I believe. Yes, because I also think we're all here for, our paths are different, but we're all here for a reason. Mm. Um, we can't change the globe, but we can change our corner. Mm. We can change the globe as well sometimes. But <laughs> for the people that you touch, the people that you inspire, there's a reason, right? And that's enough. It's, it's fulfilling. Originally trained as an optometrist in Ghana, Nealante Hayward Mills is an entrepreneur who is passionate about development work and reducing health inequalities. He is currently the country director at VMO, who is leading the charge in bringing digital solutions to communities in need. With his expertise in public health, he has worked in countries including Ghana, Nigeria, Liberia, Ethiopia, and Rwanda. In this episode, we delve into his backstory of how he got to Viamo and then how he's making a difference one community at a time. Okay, Neil, I say, so just tell us about just a bit of your background. Like, you grew up in Ghana, correct? And what school did you grow up to go to? Yes, grew up in Ghana, Laboni to start with. Okay, you're a Laboni resident. So well, native not, in, not entirely, and then <laughs> not Kanishi mm. as well. So I gravitate more towards that. I was in... Um, St. Teresa's in North Kanishi. Okay. All right. And then to Presbyterian Boys mm, in Legon. <laughs> yes. Um, then onwards to Kwame Nkrumah, University of Science and Technology, where interestingly, I studied optometry. Wow. So wait, so <laughs> when you went to Presec, like, did you already know what your like your path was? Did you know, okay, I'm going to Presec, I'm going to do specific subjects to go into this career path? Not, no, no, not at all. So what, I, were you, what were your interests? That's a good question, but maybe that's not the question. <laughs> I think Ghana necessarily, we are all shunted into a certain direction. Mm. If you show a little promise or you show that you're a bright student. Mm. So like a doctor, you have to be a doctor. Your path engineer. is either a doctor yeah. or an engineer. There's nothing else really. Mm. So that was the overarching theme from, say, high school. At Presec, I was still not very clear about what exactly I wanted to do. Okay. I mean, a bit of engineering architecture. I mean, the big, you say the big four, one of one of any would be okay. Right. Yeah. I, I, I'm not one of those folks that from an early age, I had a very clear vision of what I wanted, what to, wanted be, to be, right? I mean, I dare say at some point I wanted to be a footballer. Hmm. I mean, that's a good career too. No? <laughs> Most kids want to be a pilot. Yeah, I, I think I, I wanted to be a pilot. In the way, but a lot yeah. of us. Yeah. I mean, you should see the, the career day at primary school mm. all the boys and half of the girls were pilots oh wow costumes <laughs> yeah okay so 
in Prisac, it wasn't still too clear. So I would say, just to take a small segue, I would say I think it's one of the gaps in high schools, right? Mm-hmm. And even in junior high schools where there's a lot of career advice and yeah. a lot of information as to what what possibilities yeah, are. Yeah, what's out there. Yeah. I feel that it's usually what parents think would be, but nonetheless, kids, yeah. um, by some strange strings of events and choices, I wouldn't say so strange, I stepped into optometry, eye care for six solid years. How did you even like go from maybe that part of being an engineer to just going to eye care? It's an interesting story. <laughs> so, Ideally, I would say to take a step back, my f- if I had my own way, I probably would be into the arts. Mm. I find that I'm able to express myself a bit more in those that side of things, um, conversations and, and so on and so forth. And I find that a lot of young folks really are shunted into the science fields. That's right. Not by choice, but because they're bright, right? Yeah. I would have gone for, say another career I, I could have literally done a lot of other things mm. but to the point to cut everything short there was still no, not a lot of clarity at that point mm. there was still not a lot of clarity at that point and another I feel another I won't say deficiency but a limitation with the um, choosing courses of study in university yeah. is, is either or yeah. if you do not get your first choice you settle for what is next mm. Right, so you have a lot of folks who are doing biological science who didn't choose to venture into that part, or are doing agri mm. who didn't choose to, but because of the grading system, and by no fault of the university as well. I mean, it's, it's, it's a system have. that yeah. needs to work. So, I mean, the other options on the table for me were uh, medicine, pharmacy, mm. yeah. um, but I gravitated more towards eye care. I found that I had some interest there, okay. so I stepped into and um, for six years of my life six years hard I mean, yeah that's that, that's a long time to be in eye care like did you were enjoying it as you went along or I was I was I was enjoying it okay. I was enjoying it very much I went through it I still to some extent practice oh you still practice it I actually own two eye clinics in Accra okay so that, so you basically took that and kind of made your own business in a way yes yes so after that, maybe the journey after six years in KNUSD, my practice for about three years. Okay. And then um, I got a scholarship to, a Commonwealth scholarship to study public health in the UK. Okay. So that's where everything changed, right? Oh, okay. So that's, I guess that's kind of a diversion to go to a whole new country and exp- have a new experience there. Yes. Okay. Yes. So, well... I had been a few times, but in terms of education, it was different. Was I different. mean, the style of tutoring is different. Yeah. Uh, more often than not, African students are not ready for <laughs> that style. Mm. But I would say it also sort of defined my next steps and also generally my perspective of of issues and mm. how I I perceive and I think about the world. It was very instrumental in and my journey that I would say and um, it's a bit also different from our style here mm. not to take anything from right. oh, yeah. our learning and teaching styles but it's slightly different okay. so what were you, what was the scholarship for to study when you went to the UK? Public health okay. with an emphasis on social determinants of health mm. so not your 
public health when it comes to say statistics and epidemiology but social behavior change mm. so in other quarters i see i'm a behavior change expert okay that makes sense yep. yeah so that's how it's shunted but optometry was a platform because it was health mm. related yeah but public health now gave me the platform to do more wider um, interventions and also understand determinants and how people's behavior okay um, can be changed okay so you went to uk for how long when you went to study for one year for a year so yeah. what was that one year experience like in the uk like what like what how did it shape you like your perception public perceptions and everything well i mean academically it was not easy hmm. i mean i could make it very flurry and say I was an A student. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't easy. First semester was tough because the style of learning and was very different from what we're used to. We're used to, you know, the best memorizer yeah. is the best student. Yeah. I mean, and it's about same for, I hope I'm not quoted anywhere, but <laughs> this is a podcast. So. <laughs> you know, when we start from primary school, mm-hmm you copy notes yes exams and yeah. you, you pour it back yeah GSS you still copy yeah, notes same thing yeah same process the teacher writes on the board the whole board cleans it wipes you, you copy you, you regurgitate mm-hmm. high school same yeah first four years of university you copy notes <laughs> <laughs> so literally from the time you can write in, in Ghana you all you do is copy notes yeah. and and then put it on paper. Yeah. Put it on paper. The exam questions are never different from what you were taught, right? Yeah, that's why we have past papers, yes. Exactly. <laughs> so you really sometimes do not have to study a lot, just cram past papers mm-hmm. and you're sure you you will sail through. And then in the UK it's it's different. Yeah. Your lecturer says, Well, this is it. What are your thoughts? There's no right or wrong answer. Mm. Like, wow. No right or wrong answer. That's the biggest, yeah. There's change. no right to make your point and justify it. And that's different, yeah. right? You have to be critical. You have to think. You have mm. to apply yourself. Mm. So that's different in terms of taking a stand, in terms of analyzing information and putting it out. Well, you have your own biases, but mm. being critical about it. It was tough for all the African students the first mm-hmm. semester, including myself, but we understood later academic writing and how to be critical mm. and from then on I would say we topped yeah you you, you adjusted and you kind of fit yep. into the system yeah yep. in terms of standard and quality of life also I mean different mm. I wouldn't say better but in some to some extent socially however the social separation is there right mm, yeah. you don't have all the they're not as social in it as we would yeah, be yeah a little more independent Independent, yes, but also it's fragmented. You don't get the same. It was a bit different in mm. terms of not having your support system, mm. being by yourself, and um, culturally different, food different. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't my most enjoyable moment. Okay, okay. so you you didn't. I guess I guess they call it like the culture shock. You you didn't couldn't get past that culture shock of it. And it wasn't culture shock. I had been there four or five times already. Okay, it was more about being there long, over a long duration right. in in a foreign land, not having the social support right. and not really zooming in and focusing in. And mind you, I was I was on a scholarship. And yeah, life was supposed to be easy, but <laughs> it's a, a thing people don't talk about how. It's not as easy for folks who are not in their home countries studying outside mm-hmm. and the pressures, academic pressures. Yes, especially Nonetheless, I mean, I sailed through with a very 
great grade <laughs> and a week after I came back okay you came back so you graduated and like okay I'm done let me come back to my own country I didn't even, I didn't even go for the ceremony I just wow. came back the week after I submitted right. <laughs> <laughs> I was like no back yeah, home back home so so what was okay so how when you came back home what what, what was your plan after that wow that that was me trying to take over like apply myself mm. I was motivated I was driven I was it was so much passion mm. not to say there isn't passion there is but you there was it's different it's, it's different yeah. it's different so I came back um, I still practiced here and there because I hadn't landed a job a permanent job yet but I was working with the Ghana Health Service okay. as a consultant for about two years and then the project that we're working on was also working on with a, a bigger USAID mm-hmm. project about behavior change and um, okay. one of the projects the digital component the tech component of the project needed a behavior change expert okay were there a lot of behavior change people in Ghana locally or there are there are the, 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 the whole department of health promoters health educators in Ghana but there aren't a lot that focus on digital mm. media or mobile okay yeah so it was a first even for me as well mm. but the other thing is at this time I had already sort of started my eye clinic oh yeah the, the ones you worked on yeah so I had a lot of insights into this already customer behavior mm. and um behavior change all through all these different channels yeah so it wasn't too it, it was the adapting wasn't it wasn't hard to just it adjust, wasn't yeah. it wasn't okay so what was the experience like for those two years working with like a local government entity to kind of go to that wow a local government entity is different mm. can't say a few a lot of things about working <laughs> <laughs> but it's different it's 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 very different from anything that I was used to, and as I said, I came with a lot of drive, a lot of passion, and mm. a few things will shock you. Mm. Yes, a few things will shock you. The processes, and um, but also there's a lot of sacrifice there. Mm. There are folks who are breaking their necks, breaking their backs, with not a lot of remuneration. But what that allowed me to do was to do a lot um, across the country with behavior change. Okay, I literally worked in every region oh okay you went to all the regions all the regions implementing national behavior change programs I was a I was a hat of um, Ebola okay um, training health workers across the country in batches of like 600 Hmm. developed guidelines for the mental health authority for UNICEF for UNDP even for Ghana Health Service, the first newsletter. Oh. So I was doing things above my pay grade at that mm. point. Okay. But it, that also shaped me a lot because there was a lot of rich experience in a really short time. Yeah, because if you're going across all regions in Ghana, you're getting so much experience from exactly. those other places. Exactly. You're learning what works, what doesn't work, how people react, how people take in information, mm. um, what are the barriers. And, and mind you, all this is really important for the services that now VMO renders. Right. Right? Because you're rendering to human beings. You need mm. to know what the barriers are. You need to know what the limitations are. You need to know their motivations. Mm. You need to know where they live and 
what they aspire to. Mm. So that particular experience gave me the edge when I transitioned into tech. Okay. Because I had a 360 view mm, and well. solutions that we deployed were human-centered and more likely to be fit for purpose. Mm. So I really do sort of cherish that time I spent there um, at the Ghana Health Service those two years. Um, and they were sort of foundational mm. for a lot of work that I did following that across the continent. Yes. Okay. So after you did those two years, you still had your, your eye clinics. So what was the next step for you after Ghana Health Service? What were you motivated to do next? Yes. So... That was working with Viamo at that point. So we're working on... Then it was called Votomobile. Mm. It was pretty relatively smaller than now. About 30 employees now. We're 300 plus across 25 countries and And counting. And what year did you start with um, Votomobile first? 2016, I believe. Okay. 2016, August. Um, As a behavior change expert. Okay. So started in Jowlu... Um, three years implementing health projects across the across the country and in the sub-region. And um, I also did some projects in Rwanda, mm. Ethiopia, Sierra Leone. And then in 2019, I moved to Nigeria for another three years. Okay. So what was that experience like? You're going from Ghana now to Nigeria, living there. So what was that experience like for you? It's beautiful. <laughs> a lot of people wouldn't say that, but you're saying you had a beautiful experience. Well, yes, yes. So I, what, what, what did you go through there? Well, I think Nigeria is a country of many parts. Mm. On the journey there on the plane, I wondered why Fiamo would send me to Nigeria and not Dar es Salaam by the beaches. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, so there was a bit of prejudice there, really based on the kind of information that we consume about Nigeria. Yes. And then I get to Abuja, Mm. and it's it's beautiful. Mm. It has people like me and you. It has very smart people, beautiful buildings, big roads, nothing like we've been told. Very cosmopolitan, Mm. very diverse, and very urban. Okay. Um... I would say those three years in Abuja were one of the most enjoyable periods for me. Yes. And I I entreat a lot of Ghanaians also to get out of the bias and even visit. Right. It would change a lot of perspectives that they have. Um, I'm not saying Lagos. I'm saying Abuja. (laughs) Abuja, yes. (laughs) Because when people think Nigeria, they think of Lagos because it's the biggest city. Yes, yes, yes. I also did some work across across Nigeria um, the last count I think I was in 15 states hmm. oh. I, yes fond memories of um, northern Nigeria hmm. Bauchi, Kebi, Sokoto traveled through worked with indigen, indigenous Nigerians worked in the health system implemented national health projects that were quite very successful and very big hmm. some of the biggest projects on the continent. Okay, in Nigeria. In Nigeria, because of the size of the, okay, the, the country. Yeah. So that was that was also a very great learning experience, but and I also I'm also happy because we achieved a lot there mm. using digital and mobile and technology. Okay. What would you say was your biggest achievement in Nigeria in three years you worked there? Hmm. So we deployed a few systems um, like an accountability hotline that 
allowed patients to report issues and the quality of care, which was utilized at the last count. We had about 200,000 complaints in two years. Wow. Yeah. And we were able to sort of design it to the point where the regional directorate was able to follow up and actually resolve issues. That was one. Another thing we did, there's sort of podcast-style trainings mm. in local languages, okay. like Hausa, mm. for health workers. And this was also sort of really putting very critical information to them in the language they understand. Mm. So we trained a lot of health workers on that. I would say these two, and generally it was two projects. So at the time I was leaving, we were set in a position where we're set up for success. Hmm. And um, our beneficiaries, our users were very happy with the solutions, recommended to other folks. And there's been a lot of replication of some of the things we did there in other countries. Hmm. Not everything was successful, but okay. most were. Most, most of it worked, yes. Yeah. Okay, so three years in Nigeria. So what, what, was, what year did you finish over the last year? Last year was 2022. 2022. Okay, so not, not, too, not too long. Yes. Okay, so I want to just step back a bit and let's talk about the period in 2020. You were, st- were you still in Ghana at the time? 2020, no, I was in Nigeria. Okay, Nigeria. So I think that's when, you know, basically the world shut down with COVID. Right, right. So right. how did that affect your work and everything, especially living in Nigeria at the time? How did that affect you and your work there? Well... I was stuck in Nigeria for eight months. Hmm. Yeah, I wasn't able to come back to Ghana because the airspace was shut. So that wasn't easy. Nonetheless, being in Nigeria is like being at home. Um, You step out and you don't even recognize you're out of Ghana because the (laughs) sounds and the vibes and the food and the camaraderie is the same, Hmm. right? So it's not too difficult staying there. You would function like you'd be in Ghana. Work-wise, our workload tripled, quadrupled because the tech solutions that were deploying were the only ways organizations were able to mitigate the the shortfall in their work because of uh, movements, restrictions to movements and gatherings. Mm -hmm. So workload went through the roof mm-hmm. and we had extremely long hours every day like like how long would you say your long hours were 7 a.m to 10 p.m oh. every day every day even on weekends oh even on weekends Man, it, it was so it was such a crazy period because we needed to put out information about covid mm. and um about prevention and then about care we're working with the telcos in nigeria to put out concise and precise information we're coordinating we're literally coordinating the mobile um, and digital messaging for Nigeria at that point okay wow so it sounds like a big 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 project <laughs> yeah so we're talking to the Etel, MTN, Glow trying to make sure we're coordinating the health bits how they're putting out relevant and, and correct information so that wasn't easy it wasn't easy. It takes its toll on you as well. As much as you're doing fulfilling work, I mean, those hours can be brutal sometimes. Mm-hmm. But it was fulfilling because this is clear impacts that we were making and doing our bit to improve lives 
protect lives. Okay. So I just want to just again dial down a little bit. How long? Uh, when were you first hired? Like the Voter Mobile. When did they first pick you up? Twenty. 2016. 2016. What, what was your was it was it the country manager role or was it no again as I said behavior change advisor behavior change expert on a project okay so what, what was the what was that experience for, as far as like rising up the ranks to where you are now because behavior change advisor to now being country manager what was that transition like so so in private practice aside the clinics I there's also a hospital that. I I manage. Um, I'm a director, and, and I manage in Chile. So I'm not new to managing people. Okay. Right. Also, I run an NGO. It's a bit. It's on hold now, but it was pretty active for a better part of five years. Hmm. So that's not new, right? Hmm. And in in Viamo as well, I had a massive team hmm. that I was managing. So. Being in like leadership roles was was never new to me. That's mm-hmm. something that I was very used to, accustomed to. Okay. And so, after three years, after three years in Nigeria, I believe it was also apparent that I there was more that could be I could do. Okay. Like right? They had a bigger role for you in a way. I guess so, <laughs> because I mean, I would say for the most part what needed to be done in Nigeria had been done. Hmm. The processes, the framework had been set up. Our clients were happy with what we were doing. So it was sort of time to transition when, we'd say when the applause is loudest, the applause is loudest. <laughs> yeah. And at that same time, there was an opportunity in Liberia hmm. for a country manager. Okay. So I transitioned into that. Oh, so you went to Liberia? Yes. For that role? Yes, I transitioned into the country manager for Liberia. Okay. That was very interesting. Yeah. What, so and was that your first time in Liberia or? My first time in Liberia. Okay. So that's in, so you took a country manager role in a country you've never been in? Yes. So that, that was a new experience for you? Very new experience. Okay. Well, and what was that like in totality? It was different. It was different. Again, as I mentioned, Nigeria is, is, is so much like home. Hmm. It's very, you're used to the things here, same, similar there, right? Yeah. The people, behavior. Liberia is a bit different. It's a bit different. Um, also, because of the history of conflict and the implications of that on the social um, infrastructure, hmm. education, health. So it's it's not as I want to choose my words carefully, but let's put it as it's a tougher market right. to work in compared to the other countries in the sub region. Okay. Nonetheless, it's also a market where you will achieve very quick and massive gains mm. because it's small and they are ready. And the changes you can make almost astronomical, right? Compared to say Accra or Lagos, or because the levels of the need is there. So any product you put out there, the consumption is faster and mm. more pronounced, and you can see real real life yeah, like effects yeah. and impacts. Yes, so okay. that was also a very interesting journey. 
Okay. And how long were you in Liberia for? I was in Liberia for about eight months, okay. give or take. Yeah, I, I set up the. Um, so mind you, Viamo was not in Liberia at the time I went. I set it. I set the whole pro- project's co- country profile up, infrastructure, the paperwork, everything. You, you basically set the foundation up for everything. Yes, this foundation and and also partners, partnerships signed MOUs here with mm. all the critical players in the industry that we needed to work with and um, I'm happy to say after just about a year Liberia is one of the countries that's doing quite well um, relative to say other countries in mm. our portfolio okay very good so okay you did an eight month stint in Liberia so what was next for you there from Liberia next for me was home <laughs> back, to, back to Ghana it's home yes and then it's, it's bitter, bittersweet I mean home is always where the heart is mm. um, I left Ghana four years ago Viamo and coming back to Viamo again was it's pleasant it's good to be back and it's good to also apply all the learnings and all my experiences in the sub-region on the continent bring them back here and also for the folks that I and the organizations that I worked with, it's really great to reconnect mm. with them again right. um, and, and and continue conversations from the time that I, I was here. Okay, okay. So you're working as country manager for BMO, but you've also mentioned that you had the eye clinics, the NGO you're managing. So the question I want to ask is, how were you balancing everything all at a go? Because it seems like it's a lot of work and a lot of things to do all at once. That's that's a very good question. I ask myself that a lot. As well. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not easy. Um, however, there's there are administrators at these facilities who are more or less running these on their own and then defer to me when there there are any difficulties or they need my input. Mm. You cannot be in the day-to-day running because there's as much you can do physically in a day, cognitively in a day. Mm. So there's sort of that delegation and reporting lines and... um, that system has, has sort of worked for for me in the last the last decade, almost decade, managing these okay. facilities. Okay, okay. So you have all this experience, this decade of work and experience, and you're working for VMO right now. Right. I'm sure you're seeing what's happening happening in the public health space in Ghana, maybe Africa as a whole. Do you ever think to yourself that maybe you want to, I guess, venture and do something else as far as maybe there's an opportunity or something you see out there that needs more attention? That's interesting. I think personally, because I'm in the health space and primary health care, I think I've ticked one of the boxes in terms of supporting livelihoods and providing care and for, for at least indigenous in Accra. From where I sit as the county director, I see there's a lot of, there's an unmet need for information, mm. right, in various topics, not just health, financial literacy, gender-based violence, and the like. So that's that's where I would say bridging the gap, right, and not necessarily through digital mobile, but how do we get information to the people who need it mm. so they have the information to make decisions right Right. so I see a gap 
there. I mean, generally, there, there are lots of other places that we could propose that we could do things better in our financial sector, the environment. Um, but let's not bite more than we can chew. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Okay, so you've been working for VM for how long now? How many years would you say? I would say I would say eight years. Eight going years. to eight. Going to eight years. Okay, have there have there been any like maybe periods of time where you were, I guess, not I wouldn't say burnt out in a way, but where you think to yourself that maybe I should step down and just maybe focus on your eye clinic and the NGO stuff. Has there been any time when you've been that stressed out to the point where you want to just maybe? work-life balance <laughs> that's what I have to say I mean there have been that period earlier on my journey with Viamo um, and it wasn't easy because I was there were too many my hands were dipped in too many things mm-hmm. and it's not easy physically and even for your mental health yeah but I figured out how to balance that in terms of having a healthy work-life balance, knowing when to stop, mm. knowing when to step away, knowing when to shut your computer, and knowing when to delegate. Mm. I mean, you can decide to do everything by yourself, but that doesn't make you a great leader if you're not delegating and then you're, you're not allowing people to grow. Mm. So it's, it's a really fine balance of either doing it yourself very fast to your satisfaction or allowing people to learn grow and also reduce the workload not just for themselves but for everybody so that period has come and every now and again there's a lot of work and that's not going to stop Mm. in the next couple of months Mm. last weekend was hectic Mm. very hectic next weekend will be very hectic (laughs) (laughs) next week will be so it's it's a continuing theme of balancing that yeah, so I, w- I wouldn't say it's a one-off and it's been figured out, but a fine balance between work-life. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so a couple of more questions. So I just want to just go step back and just look at your career path from, you know, going to opto- uh, optometry to right. even, you know, going to UK and now coming back to Ghana. Like, if you had to go back and look at everything you would you say that you would maybe make a different choice as far as career path or maybe working for a different company? Would you ever think you look back and say, I would have liked to have done this instead? Not necessarily. Sometimes I think I would have made a really good lawyer, hmm. but I honestly think I made, if I, if I had another opportunity, it's the same choices I would make because literally that has, that is what has driven me to who I am what I do and some of impacts that I've been able to to sort of bring about not just at Viamo but also in my personal social life so I wouldn't do anything differently same choices I I believe because I, I also think we're all here for our paths are different but we're all here for a reason Um, we can't change the globe but we can change our corner Mm. we can change the globe as well sometimes but (laughs) for the people that you touch the people that you inspire there's a reason right and that's enough is is fulfilling Mm. 
Okay. So you've been managing a lot of people, you know, your NGO, your clinics, and even Viamo now. If you had to give maybe advice to the people who are in your companies or people up and coming, in your, all your years of experience, what do you think you would tell them that, hey, if you want to achieve something for success, this is what you need to do? That's interesting. I'm using my personal path. I mean, keep your eyes on the ball, right? Mm. If you're, for instance, a waste collector, be the best waste collector <laughs> in the world, right? Um, be passionate about what you do. Focus focus on it and be passionate about it. Treat it, even if you're working for an organization, treat it like yours, right? Um, and I say this with having both feet in in private business and also with Fiamo. Be passionate about it, treat it like yours, and look ahead for for look ahead corners, right? And adapt. I think for me, once I put my hands on anything, I'm very passionate about it. I work weekends sometimes, but I don't see it at work as work. Mm-hmm. I see see it as making closing the loop and giving the best of myself. Um, some weekends I wouldn't work. But when there's a deadline that needs to be completed, you rally everybody, do what it needs mm. to be done, do what needs to be done. So I would say for, and, and, and people notice, if you're passionate about this, you're, I'm an optometrist, right? Yeah. I still, I'm still in a few WhatsApp groups <laughs> with optometrists. Even in that circle, we know the most passionate optometrists. Right. We know them. We know that these guys, top notch, the best. Do you get what I mean? Yeah. And we know, I hope I don't get quoted. <laughs> we, we also know the, the optometrists that are doing it for a livelihood. Sure. And we know those that are doing it because they love the profession mm-hmm. and they love to give back. Yeah. And more often than not, for those who are extremely passionate about what they do, and I noticed as well, because it, it's, it's, it oozes out of you, your mm-hmm. passion and the excellence. So I would say be passionate about it. But whilst doing that, also having a vision of where you want to be, right? Yeah. So it's not it's not just the passion, but a concerted effort, a five-year to 10-year plan to say, I want to sit here. This is where I want to be in five years. Right. After optometry school, I knew where I wanted to be in five years. I knew I wanted to get into the public health space mm. and do more national campaigns mm. I knew that at the Ghana Health Service I knew where I wanted to be um, so at some point where I was given a designation for a lower sort of role I would I would implement but I'd be very hesitant because that was not my direction right mm. a week before my masters I got a job with SNIT mm, okay as an optometrist <laughs> and at, at that point for a young optometrist that is it's a really great job. Yeah. But I had a vision of where I wanted to be. Right. And that wasn't the pathway. Not to take anything away from my colleagues at SNIT, <laughs> but that's a journey. So in, in addition to being passionate, preparing yourself, work towards it. And that, that may include learning, right? Mm-hmm. That may include taking courses, Coursera, LinkedIn, mm-hmm. um, learning. That may include... Um, um, project management courses, a master's degree, a management degree, even conversations. Right. 
even as I am here, I also have people I look up to right. that I also want to to build more capacity, right? Because um, as I mentioned, there's still a vision have, from this point onwards. Right. So that's that's what I would say. But for me, I think it's it starts with the passion in doing what you're doing. I mean, if you find yourself there, what else can you do to apply yourself mm-hmm. and be passionate? Mm, that's fair. Okay, one last question. So now you're still at VMO. So what is your next vision being at the company? What Or not even at the company, just for you yourself. Like, what's the next, I guess, five years look like for you? My vision my vision for VMO really is to put VMO at the point where it is a main player in the tech space in Ghana. We've been here for 10 years. Mm-hmm. We're an indigenous company. It started in Kute, Kumasi, mm-hmm. with 10 staff. We've taken over the world with 300 staff. We have staffing across every time zone, mm-hmm. right? From Canada to Iraq to the Caribbean, Haiti. But we are not as loud and vociferous as we should be and then not in the conversations that we should be in as much we are but not as much as I would want it so for me that's the vision for Viamo giving so much more to the Ghana tech ecosystem the mm-hmm. developmental space mm-hmm. um, telling a story about an indigenous tech company that has scaled globally and has so much more to offer Ghana and Ghanaians yeah. Yeah. okay Awesome, awesome. So yeah, I think we can wrap that up from there. This has been a really good conversation. So yes, um, Nee, thank you very much for coming. I really Pleasure. appreciate it. Yeah, good story. We like the backstory and all your, all your juggling of your work. So that's pretty good. Yeah, so again, thank you very much for coming. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of What's Your Story? This episode was brought to you by Paystack, the smart choice for accepting payments from anyone, anywhere in the world. Visit paystack.com slash technova to get started.